Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft for All podcast. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training here in Aberdeen, North Carolina. And uh, if you guys know me, you know that I'm into the great outdoors. I mean, that's why I was brought on to the company and, you know, Glover found out about me by reading my book. And, you know, he and I talked after we podcasted about hunting, fishing, and all sorts of things in the great outdoors. So I've got a background as being a lifelong outdoorsman, a lifelong sportsman. And uh, every once in a while, you come across a publication or you come across an article or you see a video and it just resonates with you. It's like, damn, they get it. And, you know, recently I was, I won't even say recently, but in recent history, I mean, I guess if you look at the sum total of someone's life, it is relatively recent. But, uh, you know, I was going through the, uh, you know, the social media feeds and I came across this one page and I was like, whoa, they, they just get it. And, you know, when you get into like the hunting world, you often deal with people that are referred to as Elmers, right? Or many people will call them FUDs. And sometimes people don't want to break away from tradition to show something new and innovative and really cool and whatnot. Well, the social media feed that I came across was the total opposite. They were willing to try new things. They were willing to talk about, you know, the importance of having your, you know, AR-15 along with your Woodstock rifles. And this company, by the way, loves pre-64 Winchesters. So I'm going through the page. I'm like, damn, this is awesome. And the more I saw, the more I was like, I need to reach out to these guys. And, you know, we developed a pretty good relationship, you know, talking about potentially working uh, on some collaborative efforts together at some point. And uh, I I think you're going to enjoy this one. If you've ever been on the receiving end of an Elmer, someone telling you that you can't do that, that's not the way that we do it. Or, oh, you don't need to have that camouflage. We used to do it in our plaids. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that type of tongue lashing, then you better pay attention. With me today is Jason from the Field Ethos Journal. And I think you're going to enjoy what what you hear. We're going to have a little bit of a spirited discussion. I am not drinking spirits right now. Um, I bet if we were, we'd probably be drinking a good bourbon and probably drinking it neat because I have a feeling that's how how they roll over there. Although there's another type of alcohol they're going to mention. And, uh, you know, we're just going to talk about some of the things that are on our mind and the mission of their company and, you know, maybe what we'll be doing in the future. So, Jason, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. What an intro. You know, I, I try. You know, I try to outdo myself every time. But, <laughs> you know, quite honestly, I'm, I'm sitting here in our podcast studio. I just crushed an amazing sandwich from the little bakery right next door. So I'm feeling good. Like I had nice. a, I had a long, carbed up. Oh, car, carbed up and I got like Cuban ham in me. It's like, it's, it's good. So, you know, this will be a fun one because I'm scrolling through your, your social media right now. And I'm just laughing at some of the, the photos that are up there and we can talk about taking laps and all that stuff. But, uh, it's important to laugh at anything that we do and not to take it too seriously. Completely agree. You know, and I would tell people like you got to go ice fishing sometime and and tackle each other reaching for the tip up that pops up first, you know, and if you don't laugh at that, then maybe you shouldn't be out on the ice, you know, like every once in a while, you got to just have a good time. So let's, let's just do the, the quick intro and talk about a whole bunch of things. So what is field ethos journal? So field ethos journal is a brand and publication that we started because we didn't feel like there was an outlet for, guys like us. And when I say guys like us, this, this really started on the side of a mountain when Don Trump Jr. And I were elk hunting in in Utah some years back. And at the time I was working for sporting classics magazine, which is fantastic, but it is certainly a really high end kind of classic outdoor publication that 
really aims at a much older demographic. I'm 41, and they aim quite a bit older than where I am right now, or at least that's where their demographic settles. But there wasn't anything out there that that we felt like was unapologetic, that was okay with using adventure as the narrative behind what we do when we go afield. Everybody seemed to be latching on to the mindset of let's let's package hunting in these different ways. You know, let's let's articulate hunting in these different ways, whether that's you know, this this token I, I hunt because I want clean protein for the table. I, I I can't tell you how much I hate that. I see it all the time. Um, and and look, uh, and I'll get to that. You know, because there's there's that, and then there's the I hunt because I'm a conservationist, and and as a former game warden, I just completely roll my eyes at that. And they're all, you know, everything seemed to be evolving into these excuses of why you hunt that I felt like really in the long run would undermine hunting. And we support all of those things. You know, we we love cooking wild game. We love the the good impact we have on conservation. But but those are just really good byproducts of our thirst for adventure. And so, you know, we never there there are ways to make a positive impact on conservation by not hunting. So, you know, to me that's an easy, easy, you know, easily defeatable stance if that's gonna be your stance. And and you know, I know some generative cattle farmers that produce as clean meat as can be produced, whether, you know, you compare it to wild meat or, or farm meat. And so that, you know, if, if all you want is clean protein for the table, you can defeat that very easy, but you can't defeat adventure. You can't, you can't argue with history with hunting being the oldest adventure on earth. And so we felt like we wanted to go kind of against the grain and, and go back to that old school mentality of, you know, we're, we're doing this because we're connected to it. We, we see it as, you know, the things that we do as the ultimate adventures and, and the oldest adventures on earth. And, and so we're unapologetic about the fact that that's why we do what we do. Uh, and then we celebrate, celebrate the byproducts. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a meme recently and it was like, you know, cavemen didn't create paintings of vegetarianism on cave walls. They showed like a tribe getting together, taking down, you know, the woolly mammoth or, or whatever it was, you know? And I know that you guys are really sensitive to the term that someone harvested game. Um, I think this is a great well, segue I into that. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say we're sensitive to it. I'd say that we're allergic to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody, it, it, it's just, a, it's just a way to whitewash the, the act of killing something is to say that you harvested it. It's, Again, you know, anytime you water down what we do and, and kind of try to, to make it more palatable for the naysayers, you're taking a step in their direction, not in our direction. And so, yeah, that word, that word is off limits. Field ethos. And, and it can't be used interchangeably with some of like the great expressions, right? Like shoot to kill, shoot to harvest, right? If yeah. looks could kill, if looks could harvest, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't. No, I will, I will say there's, you know, the argument about what harvest actually means, blah, blah, blah. Right. I, I, I get it. it. It is to some extent interchangeable, but it's used for a very specific reason so that a person doesn't have to use the word kill. But there, I mean, you, look, if you're one of those people and you don't want to use the word kill, use the word take. Right. You know, um, right. Whatever. But yeah, that, that word is, to me, 
pretty clear indicator of somebody's intentions when they're using it. I just kind of, we, we just kind of stay away from that stuff. I mean, we live in a world where everyone, you know, lives in anonymity right now on, on social media and, and, you know, all their online profiles and whatnot. Are there any other words that kind of signal to you? Like, man, this person has to be from an older generation or, you know, do you notice like a generational divide with just the choice of words that younger generations use from older? Yeah. I mean, the younger generation is you can, if you're looking at a hunting account, um, you can very clearly see some buzzwords that you'll go, okay, this is like kind of somebody with a bit of that modern mindset where they, where they don't want to offend or they're, they're making these excuses. And it's, it, 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 there's, there's a bunch of them. One is certainly harvest. Anytime I see someone talking about protein instead of meat or, or whatever, I, I'm automatically that, that sets off an alarm. You know, the public land bragging stuff, if it starts with that, I'm like, okay, guy, you know, congratulations. But yeah, there, you know, you, you've mentioned kind of Bud or Elmer stuff mm-hmm. and, and divisions between ages. I would say that, you know, we live, we live in an identity culture, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say, since we since we live in identity culture, I'm going to go ahead and play into that for a second. I would say I identify as an 85 year old, you know, former former professional trapper, uh, World War II vet. You know, that was that was my granddad, and he was a he was a fur trapper before the Second World War, and he went off and fought in the war and ended up printing National Geographic for a living. But he made no apologies. He was just a super honest and upright dude. And, you know, he, I, I watched him as a kid, you know, I, you know, we would, uh, hand load rounds for the 220 Swift or 22, 250, you know, small bore stuff that I was, that I would shoot when we go to the range. I was hand loading with him when I was four years old. And I remember one of my first early memories was me and my granddad out at the public range and my granddad cussing some guys out for being dangerous on the range. And he just, he had no filter, no apology he was what he was. So when we're talking about like fed culture or Elmer culture or whatever, I would say that I'm very much a hybrid between a, a realist of today's culture and, but with values that I feel like my granddad kind of had and, and I got to watch and absorb along the way. So I totally get fed culture. I'm certainly part fed myself, but you know, I try to see things through a practical lens for where we live now. Yeah. And we're both at that, that golden age, right. Where we kind of straddle the two worlds, you know, we can be kind of young and, and brash like the, I don't know what we, what the opposite of a FUD would be, you know, like a, a youngin, you know, we're, yeah, uh, we're able yeah. to, we're able to like still keep up with some of the youngins, maybe not like the super athlete ones, but, uh, you know, we're also, we still remember like the golden years of, you know, like uh, American culture, in, in our generation, like I think like late eighties, yeah. nineties, like, you know, I, I think of what I used to watch and the movies that came out and like the, just the pride we had for being Americans, right? Like no one was yeah. apologizing for, for being patriotic. It seems like now, you know, I tell the story how people are getting in trouble for hanging an American flag because it's seen as offensive. And it's like, really an American flag, something that we all are is offensive. Uh, it, it blows my mind. Where do you think we went wrong? You know, like, was there like a watershed moment where you're like, okay, this is where, you know, we're going off the deep end here and our our culture has gone the wrong way. You know, it's like the cave, speaking of the caveman, like the caveman turns around, you know, and he's like devolving. Yeah. I I think 
if if I had to point at one thing, I would I would point at uh, media. You know, things that we media in in what we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, how old are you, Kevin? Forty two. Forty two. Okay, so we're pretty much the same age, eighties kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, things you know, like shows that were on when you and I were kids. Like a racy show back then was Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. You know, Magnum PI stuff like that. And if you contrast that with what comes on television now, there's a huge shift in where, where things have gone over our lifetimes and what is, what our culture thinks is acceptable to show. And I I really do see kind of the slippery slope of media getting us where we are now, where they, big media companies have forced things down our throats for so long you know, they push the envelope on what was okay to show on TV, which I feel like undermines the modern family or, or the nuclear family, I should say, not the modern family. The modern family is pretty, pretty fucked up, but the original nuclear family, they've undermined that through media. You know, they, the PC culture of, you know, just trying to make everybody feel good all the time. I would say that's equally to blame, if not more, you know, when you start catering to people's feelings all the time and you make people's feelings the most important thing, things are pretty far gone by that point because people, you, you know, really people need to not worry about their feelings and they need to be taught to understand and cope with discomfort, not, not have the situation change, but be able to adapt to discomfort. And, and, and we've eroded all of that, right? So everything is just about feel good culture, accept everything, promote everything so that everybody feels good. And damn what's right or wrong. And, you know, we've, we've raised, we're, we're looking at, you know, generations now that are coming up that have no idea how to handle hardship. They are going to be, you know, if they, if they have to experience any real hardship, they're, they're going to be unequipped. Uh, and that's, that's scary. That's scary for, for what it looks like for our country in the next 50 years. But, uh, and those things, honestly, they bleed into our industry. And when I say our industry, I mean, I feel like you and I are in the same mm-hmm. industry, which is outdoor industry, hunting, firearms, optics, ammo, that kind of stuff. And a lot of the companies in our space, you know, they're large corporations, many of them. And because of that, they have HR departments and they have yeah. cultural sensitivity training, <laughs> mandatory vaccinations and all these, all these different things that corporations are pretty much required to have by law now that that has made its way into the industry that supports our lifestyle. So, you know, something that you would think would be the last bastion of, of non PC culture or a culture of strong men and, and women that, you know, stand up for what's right. We're seeing that stuff get eroded even in, in our industry, which, you know, when we start to see that in somewhere like the firearms industry or hunting industry, you realize things have really, really gone, gone pretty far. Yeah. I think we have to lump in, in addition to the media, just the entertainment industry as a whole. I mean, you yeah. look at, I mean, I remember reading an article from a social scientist who said the first time that people were turning the camera back on themselves and doing selfies was basically during the MTV's real world, you know, when they were doing the confessionals and people yeah. started assuming like, wow, that it, it must be important to turn the camera on you and record yourself talking about things. And, and instead of seeking help from others, you know, 
I'm going to just talk to my camera and that's going to solve everything, you know, and then put it out to the world. Like certain things yeah. are meant to be guarded and kept within like your close circle of family and whatnot. And, you know, certain things you don't want to project to the world, but people start started thinking that anything that they put out there was important, you know, and some of the stuff that they put out there is just straight garbage or, you know, hot mess. So, so speaking of that, yeah. um, a Hollywood actor that's a friend of mine, he sent me a, social media message last night he forwarded it to me an account that he came across where it was this i don't know she's probably 30 to 35 white female talking about how in in great detail about how she experienced her first group self-pleasuring class and and Hmm. i'm sure you can read between the lines there and went into great detail about self-pleasuring in a group full of people with other people doing it at the same time so they could get to know their bodies more. And he sent me this. And this is a guy that, you know, lives lives the Hollywood culture. You know, that's how he makes his money is, is in the entertainment industry. And and he was like, can you believe this shit? And, he, you know, he, this is an account that he sends me screenshots and messages of this account all the time just because it's so far out there. So for someone in his culture to to see that, it's you know it's eyebrow raising stuff, and it's completely acceptable, I guess, to put that stuff out on social media and talk about how you you, you did those things in a group full of people and go into really explicit detail about the situation. And I was like, wow, I mean, I you know this is just out there for an 11 year old kid to see if he has Instagram, you know, that's just gross. Uh, like, I think the extent yeah. of the talk that most people have with their dad or their like older brother or, you know, whoever is number one, if you're going to do it, don't get caught. Number two, don't leave the sock underneath your bed. That doesn't bend, you know, like don't be a freaking savage, but yeah, all that information it's out there and there is no, there's no governor. There's no regulation of that. And, you know, the, the far end is censorship and we don't want that. But at the same time, like, I think parents have just been become so comfortable saying, take this, stay out of my way, you know, and this is your babysitter, you know, and then they get exposed and, you know, I would say that the governor is me and you, right? Mm. So I have kids, I have three kids. And recently I posted to our stories, it was a relatively, you know, somewhat risque photo that a famous photographer took of a female model in Africa. There's no, it wasn't nudity or anything like that, but it was pretty, pretty provocative photo. But we have, you know, we have a social media account that is geared towards adults. Right. And one of the wife of, of a field ethos employee, you know, sent a comment and made it obvious that she didn't like, like the picture. And my wife didn't say anything to me about it, but, and one of our female employees, she loved the post, but, you know, I mentioned it to the employer. I said, Hey, your wife really didn't like this. And, and he goes, well, you know, we have daughters and hell you have a daughter and she's, she's 12 years old. What would you say to her if she saw that? And I said, well, it's my job to make sure she doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 12 years old. She does not have a social media account. She's not allowed to access things like that. She doesn't have the capability to access things like that. She has blocks in place on her computer and tablet and everything else to make sure that she can't do those things and you know when i say that somebody posts a self-pleasuring thing that 11 year olds are seeing seeing it they are because those kids don't have governors right they don't they those kids are the ones that are are using their iphones or computers as their babysitter but the governor for those things needs to be me and you right needs to be responsible adults that say hey like 
you're not ready to be on social media or you're not ready to watch this on TV. You, you, you don't get your own Netflix access account when you're 10 years old, right? Like uh, my kids are not allowed to watch YouTube at all. It's the, the application is erased from every TV in this house. They, they have zero access to YouTube. And, you know, not that this is, this may be a little bit off topic, but I guess it's not my, my two boys, one's eight, one's six. They freaking love rock and roll, right? They love, and that's all we listen to in my truck. It's kind of like old school rock. So, and, and some old school punk rock. So we listen to like ACDC, Jimi Hendrix, The Cult, stuff like that. And they, they love all those songs. And my brother-in-law and his wife gave our kids a Alexa, uh, gave the boys an Alexa for their room for, for Christmas. And I went up there to play Legos with my eight-year-old. And when I walked in, he was listening to Cult. And then the next song that came on was an ACDC song that we listened to in the truck. And then the next song was a Guns N' Roses song, right? So he is he had obviously been, been asking it to play the songs that he hears in my truck. But then I noticed that another ACDC song came on a few minutes later based off of the algorithm. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, stop. Sorry, buddy. Um, we got to take Lex out of your room. And, uh, and that's because I don't know how to set the parental controls on it yet. But I realized like, okay, he can listen to these, these songs that I know don't have that language in them in my truck. And I'm selective about the rock songs that I'll play in my truck. But you can't just put something like that, that up there in their room because then the algorithm is going to go, okay, this is just somebody that likes rock and roll. I'm going to play whatever, you know? And I caught on to it like day two that he had that thing up there. I was like, wow, I wonder, wonder what I didn't catch. You know, I wonder what songs it did play that I wish he hadn't heard. And so you know, the only governors out there these days, Kevin, are us. And right. We're going to be force fed and our kids are going to be force fed. And we've just got to, we've got to be the the responsible people. Yeah. Everyone wants artificial intelligence to, you know, do things for us. Right. And, and people were so enamored by, you know, put your picture into artificial intelligence and get all these, you know, paintings of yourself. And there was all this like narcissistic, you know, just behavior that was just all over social media recently but we're so quick to, to say, yeah, give us that, give us that. But the artificial intelligence that's out there, it might know what's a popular song and it might know what was popular, but it, it's artificial. It doesn't have that human sense to know this is not appropriate for the person listening to it. If that kid is young and the parents don't want them to, to hear certain words, like ultimately, you know, when you have, when you have content without context, when you have something that's shown to a kid without an explanation, then it can be, it can be really bad. Like I've had people say to me like, Oh, well, how do you feel about violent video games or violent movies? I'm like, they're totally fine. It's it's just like, how do I feel about a gun? Guess what? It's totally fine. But if it's misused, there can be a problem, but in of itself, it's, it's the person that is affected by it. That's, that's manipulating it, using it. That's where you have the issue. It's a human error, not the, not the product error. And I, and I totally get what you're saying about the algorithm. Like it, it freaks me out knowing that my phone constantly is listening to me and it's recording. And next thing you know, I get advertisements for, you know, this store that I mentioned a product to a student about, you know, like it, it blows my mind how far we're coming, you know, with, with our technology. And I'm just, I'm just glancing over at my computer right now and I'm looking at your Instagram account and it says the forgotten lifestyle. And I always wonder, like, if I could go back in time and if I could be reborn in any decade, if any any era, what would that be? 
and I always say like the fifties, right? Like the, the good times of America. I, I might've, I might've, I might go so far as to say the forties so that I could have experienced the fifties as a teenager. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Because you'd want to, you'd want to grow up in that, you know, good adolescent era. Um, yeah. when things are booming and you've got that innocence of America where it's, you know, poodle skirts and, you know, motorcycles and, and things like that. Like, man, Oh God, what a time to be alive. You know, yeah. um, the, the high point of American patriotism and family values, you know, everything, everything in this country was firing in the fifties. My dad is, you know, was a teenager in the fifties. And so he got to, he, he really got to enjoy those years as well as the sixties. And, and his stories are awesome. I love listening to his stories, but he will tell you, like, I asked him, I don't know, two or three years ago. Because he was, you know, he was uh, in his 20s during the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, the division that we're seeing in this country, was it the same, better, worse during the civil rights movement? He's like, dude, it's so much worse now than it was then. He's like, in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. But yeah, I mean, if if I had a time machine, I would 100% pick the 50s as the decade to to really experience. Um, So maybe be born in, in uh, 1940, 1942, somewhere in there and really, really becoming of age during the fifties would be kind of magical. One of the, one of the characters that makes a regular appearance, or I should say one of the late actors that makes a regular appearance on your, your page is Sean Connery. And my dad grew up in the Philippines. He knew he wanted to come to the United States. He came here in 1965 and he really fancied himself. He still does, right? My dad's 84. He's still a stud you know, he fancies himself like Sean Connery, you know, and he loved Dr. No. And, you know, just that, that class, you know, that, that was in my dad's opinion, like Connery was like the epitome of like what a male should be, right? Like very, very confident, very secure in himself, you know, very classy, but extremely capable on top of everything else, right? Like he was the gentleman that was a capable individual and could, you know, be a contract killer if he had to be, you know, or have yeah. a license to kill of all the folks that you have featured or of all the stories. I mean, we go back and forth, back and forth. I know I'll see something on your page. And I'll be like, yes, you know, and you've put up pictures of Hemingway and you've got photos of, you know, everything on here from like Josh Brolin and Sicario to, you know, I mean, it's everything that I'd want in, in a Instagram page. Like if I'm going to waste a portion of my day on Instagram, I'm going to be on your page. I mean, you got Last of the Mohicans <laughs> on here, and that's another connection that we have where it's like we both like Winkler. You know, like I've got a knife oh, yeah. coming out with Winkler and Ives uh, later this year. And have you been up there to hang out with Daniel at his shop? He's three hours away from me, three and a half hours away. He offered for me to stay in his cabin that he has for, for guests, for guests yeah. and whatnot. And I haven't taken him up taking him up on that yet, but I've got to go out there at some point and do some content with him anyway. And, and just catch up. Like he, he and I have been friends for almost a decade and, you know, through my connection with Syoc and, you know, the guys that designed the, the R and D Hawk, right. To Raphael Kayan and the, the Jack Carr uh, Tomahawk, so to speak, um, which is on all of his, his books, you know, we, we just have to catch up. So I, I love Daniel. Dude, I, I, go up there. As a matter of fact, go up there, but let me know when you're going, I'll meet you over there. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Daniel is so cool, but, um, Winkler Knives is an operation is awesome. The way those guys are set up, you know, it, it just really is cool to watch them making knives for a day. I took some friends up there a couple of years ago and it was, it was really neat. He sent me a, he sent me a knife a long time ago. It's I've taken it to five continents. It will eventually see all seven. 
they're my favorite just solid go-to knife but yeah they're they're very cool but yeah last of the like pulp fiction like i don't know just the things that you and i grew up on that our instagram whether this is good or bad is really a collection of items from us growing up during the time that we did plus the lifestyle that we live now and mixed with you know the music that we all grew up with and and so i think probably you and i identify with it big time i think that the younger demographic maybe the the early 20s they they probably look at it and they're like yeah this is this is cool but these guys are you know obviously at a different different level in in life and and um so we want to be kind of the aspirational brand for those guys and be kind of I don't know, a bit of a, a lighthouse for the next generation coming up that puts it out there that, look, everyone else is telling you you can't be this way, but you can. They're telling you you can't appreciate these things or be passionate about these things, but you can. You know, collect collect the pre-64 Winchester and the Knights Armament AR-15. All of those all of those things that kind of dovetail with me and you and what we appreciate, but with some messaging that they can identify with and, and see is like, okay, maybe maybe I'm not there in life where these guys are. Maybe I'm not traveling the world to, to go on these adventures, but I want to. And Field Ethos is showing me kind of a, a eclectic list of things to, to be picking up along the way as I am getting older and things that I should be appreciating mixed with cutting edge. So it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a random hodgepodge of cool shit. <laughs> but I, I think it's so necessary though, because like, I remember being a little kid and before I ever got certified as a diver, right? Like I got certified as a diver in uh, age 24 or was it 23? It was, it was in my early twenties, but I remember being like interested in snorkeling and diving and all things water when I was like 12, 13 years old. And my dad took me just for giggles to Jack's dive shop in Southington, Connecticut, right? I don't even think it's there anymore, but the guy that ran it, Jack, he handed me a whole bunch of magazines and there were epic photos of people diving with like spotted eagle rays and, and handling more eight eels. And you saw the guy with the, the diving knife on the inside of his leg. And, you know, I remember Jack being like, yeah, it's called a kelp catcher, you know? And, and, and he referred like all those magazines that he handed me, he goes, these are, these are fantasy magazines, you know? And he's like, they're important, you know? And I remember, I remember getting those magazines as a kid and, you know, we, we joked about the outdoor life and, you know, the, uh, field and stream and, and sports of field as being like the older generation magazines. But I still remember some of those articles as a kid being like, man, I want to go to Alaska someday and do a float trip. And in my thirties, I did, you know, so you got to plant the seed somewhere. And maybe this idea of, of what you guys are doing is planting a good seed of, of where we used to be. And, you know, maybe we can make people appreciate the tools that aren't made the way that they used to be. And the movies yeah. that convey messages that, you know, aren't the current Netflix, you know, if it's a white lead character, then it's got to be evil, you know, or I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the heck out of what you guys do because I, I think we, we, many people are afraid to speak up, but they will click on your, your photos because they're like, yes, they, they get it. They, they understand what I'm trying to say, but I can't say it without fear of, of getting canceled or being called a misogynist or, or whatever it is. Like, I, I mean, it's the, the list goes on and on of all the cool things that are on the page. I mean, one of the things I wanted to it's do, funny that yeah. you, it's, it's funny that you brought up the, the scuba diving thing. So the new magazine volume one, 2023 is about to ship out. And I write the back page for each issue. Mm -hmm. And this one is, I'm basically telling readers that field ethos has 
hunting DNA. And we always, we always will incorporate that into our brand. But it personally, over the next year, I am going to take some trips and take the camera and take readers on some experiences that are non-hunting. I got scuba certified. I worked, I worked during the summer for my dad when I was 15 to pay for my PADI certification. So I got certified when I was 15. Nobody else in my family was a diver. So I was, you know, like, <laughs> I'll never forget my first big offshore dive. I was the youngest person on the boat. My parents had to sign the release form and drop me off at the dock so, so that I could go with a group of divers offshore from Charleston, South Carolina when I was 15. And so this summer, taking my wife back to Bermuda, which is our favorite place to go, and I'm going to dive some wrecks while I'm there and, and get some cool photo and video of doing that. And I'm going to Japan at the end of the year. A good friend of Don's has, you know, it's a really high-end whiskey speakeasy underground in Tokyo. So I'm going to go over there and photograph that and just show that culture off to our readers. And I'm trying to do some things that are non-hunting related that if you're not a hunter, you still appreciate the adventure because really Field Ethos, where we're headed with this is just an adventure lifestyle magazine. And we want like being a hunter is at the center of our DNA, but we also want people that aren't hunters to experience an unapologetic way of living and, and to bring them into our brand. And, and ideally, a non-hunter comes in and, and sees how we represent ourselves and the messaging that we have. And, you know, they, they read our magazine because they heard there was a cool adventure motorcycling trip, which is another thing I'm going to be doing this year. I've been doing, you know, I got into that years ago and I'm going to start doing some more of it for content. But somebody that picked up our magazine because they heard there was a cool ADV motorcycle article in there and they pick it up and they go, man, that was a good article, but I'm going to go ahead and read this hunting article. And wow, that's cool. And then they're interested in, in some of these other things that, that we highlight as part of the unapologetic lifestyle. So we're going to, we're going to show a lot more than, than what we did in 2022. We're really proud of what we did in 2022, but 2023 moving forward, we're going to incorporate a lot of things that, that you haven't seen yet through us before. Yeah. We actually have a, a mutual friend in common who contributes to your magazine, Jess McLaughlin. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she came cool, out, man. She, she's, she's badass. You Dude, know, Jess has done some really far out stuff around the world as a journalist and she's a hell of a writer, world-class photographer, obviously not afraid to put herself out there on some pretty far out trip in some wild places. Yeah. Jess is cool. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you guys are capturing what, what it means to, to live that adventurous lifestyle. You know, like you get people like Jess, who's done a lot of adventure, you're taking adventures, you're doing things that are, that are also attainable by everyone. Like not everyone's going to go out and go hunting, but when you travel to a foreign country, you're definitely going to eat at some point and you can make the, the eating experience an adventure. And I think that's the reason why yeah. like Andrew Zimmern with bizarre foods, that show took off, right. And Anthony Bourdain with like no reservations, that show took off. Because yeah. it wasn't just like, here's the table and here's what I'm eating. They, they showed where they were going, how rare the dish was or how it was prepared. And then, I mean, that's something which I, I still think there's a large chunk of that market out there with meals that aren't necessarily at a restaurant, but, you know, maybe like the craziest dinner table that you could set in the wild, you know, dinner in the yeah. jungle, dinner in the rainforest, uh, you know, dinner in the Arctic. Like, what does that look like? You know, and you... You capture that, but I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys are coming up with this year. And, you know, I might throw my hat in the ring, you know, as a freelancer, but, uh, dude, come on, you're welcome to join us on, on anything. You know, we always have room for fun people to come along Well, um, you're, you're, we make sure that we always do this next Buffalo hunt. This we're, we're going over in, uh, the end of March and 
a couple of the black rifle coffee guys are supposed to come on that hunt with us. And that's going to be a lot of fun to have those guys because we've become good friends with them over the last couple of years. But there's always room for Kevin Estella on a field ethos trip. Did you hear that, Mike Lover? Did you hear that? Just throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> right a check. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, one of the things I want to do is I kind of want to blend your brand with ours and talk about some of the things that we always address on our social media, which is everyday carry items, mobility platforms. I know you guys are big fans of, you know, the old school Land Rovers. You know, we talk about homestead and and what you should have around your home and the house and whatnot, and then obviously some of the travel. So if we do talk about this forgotten lifestyle and these these golden eras, these these products that are timeless, what are some of the everyday carry items that you guys always talk about that you think that our listeners should be aware of if they're not already? Yeah, your your readers are going to be aware of pretty much all of these things. Mm-hmm. So compact firearm. There's three that I carry. So, and the reason I'm okay carrying all three is because they're they're different brands, but they're still very similar in operation. So they're striker fired, and so the Springfield Hellcat Pro Glock 43 MOS or the Sig Sauer P365X, and operationally and functionality that is pretty much crossover between the three. But and I, and I like all three, and and I. I change them out every so often. I don't change them out every day. And I shoot these guns quite a bit. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of not carrying something that you're not shooting quite a bit. So that, I guess, is a, a subcompact nine. And then a first aid kit. Mine is from Adventure Medical Systems. But we're getting ready to start doing some work with Uncharted Supply Company. I don't know if you know Christian Schaff, but we're in the process of putting together some field ethos medical kits. A good knife today, I'm actually carrying a Swiss Army knife. Nice. Um, one of the... Uh, Metal scale Swiss Army knives, I just love it. But sometimes I carry a more substantial knife than that. I've got a backpack that also lives in my truck with water filtration, tourniquet. It's got a PDW in there. It has, I have Kevlar in there. And let's see what else is in that backpack. There's illumination, uh, there's food. I like Lara bars. They, they seem to keep for a long time and they're just good. Let's see what else. The water filtration thing is important to me because I'm always like, I travel a lot and I'm like, okay, say I'm on the interstate in the middle of nowhere and something in this country, something really gnarly happens and I've got to get home. And we're talking days of hiking to get home. I like, I like having a water filtration system and I'm not a water filtration system. I'm not sure that, that enough people really talk about that. I know you guys do. But that that's just kind of one mind that, that I feel like I always have to have in my truck is some type of water filtration. Let's see what else. Covered. Sorry, I'm walking walking through the living room. My uh, eight-year-old's watching Transformers, which she's obsessed with. So, yeah, in the truck there is, and I'm not going to say what my truck looks like because nobody's going to get in there, but PDW, there is a full-size handgun in the console. There is a AR behind the rear seat. Uh, the PDW is in the backpack. That's just like a quick, all right, uh, I'm leaving here quickly. And so that's there. I'm not in my truck right now. I'm trying to think what else in that backpack. I've got a, when I travel internationally, I have a Garmin inReach Mini 2 that mm-hmm. I really like. I can text Jess and let her know that I'm still alive, whether I'm in Mongolia or Africa in the middle of nowhere. Sunglasses. There's ammo for everything in the truck. Not a ton. Because I, I really don't think there's much sense in having a ton of ammo in your backpack or in your truck, because if you have to leave it, you're not going to be able to carry it all. Yeah. We, um, uh, we're, we're planning a, uh, a course here called, uh, 
you know, bug out planning. And one of the things I'm going to bring up in my, my class is 450 rounds of 22 long rifle ammo is 3.4 pounds and find any other cartridge that's going to be as capable as putting, you know, small game on the table and being able to carry that it's, much. It's, it's funny that you say that I posted to our stories today. I was listing all of the companies that support field ethos mm-hmm. full courts and is one of them. And, uh, I said that let me read it. So I don't, this, but I think you'll, I think you'll appreciate it. Let's see here, Bull Courts and Firearms. Uh, this is the premium 22 company. Pretty sure Jesus himself makes their triggers. The guns are very accurate. The machining is custom grade. If you can only have one pistol during the apocalypse, you should start the phone with a mini Mamba and a silencer. So if like, if I had to have like one, one pistol for survival or being on the go when something bad happens, it would be the Volcourts and 22 mini Mamba with the silencer on it. And like you said, a couple hundred rounds of ammo. Yeah. It's when, when people first get into suppressors and, and I want to circle back at some point to some of the things you, we should have in the house. Cause I know you guys are, are big fans of cooking and I'm sure you got some good recommendations, but uh, you know, I think when, when people think about suppressors, they think it's always Hollywood quiet. And then they shoot a five, five, six with a suppressor and they realize, wow, it's still pretty loud. But when you get a really good, a really well-made uh, 22 long rifle suppressor, it's right there on the uh, at the doorstep of Hollywood Quiet. You know, like it's yeah, and especially with subsonic ammo, it's there. So I shoot CCI standard velocity out yeah. of just about everything. It's not listed as subsonic. It, it does not have that designation on the box. But it's coming in at like 1080, is. right? It is. It is just subsonic, and in i don't know 10 years or so of shooting it suppressed i would say that i might have had two rounds that went supersonic Mm -hmm. out of just thousands of rounds of it and so it is right at the ceiling of what is subsonic and it's very accurate and it's easy to find but yeah and then i have uh i have one of those lifeguard 22s have you seen those oh that's yeah i've seen that thing i Man, I I don't know if what I'm about to say is gonna bother you or if you're gonna be like, yeah, I know. Oh, but, you can't bother me. Oh, dude, I I saw one of those and I'm like, no, not not my thing, like not my jam. I know I know it folds flat and makes like this little rectangle, but I'm like, give me a, a well made 22 pistol. You can give me like a little breaded jet fire or something. I, I just well, that thing didn't do anything for me. When I when I come see you, I'll bring it. It's it really is kind of a novelty item. The mentality behind it was at the time everyone was using these like Altoid cases mm-hmm. uh, to, to see if they could pack like these micro survival kits. And so this gearhead was just like, I want to see if I can make a 22 pistol that'll fit in a, in a uh, Altoids case. And so he did and he made it and it is like a last option gun, right? But you can store it anywhere and it's very inconspicuous. And they sent me one that has a threaded barrel on it. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you saw me shoot our everything mug with it on our stories. Yeah, I saw, um, I saw that. And I saw that you guys shoot it with the 45. Yeah, it'll stop a 45 ACP. But um, the, the lifeguard's just, I don't know. It's a, it, it's a novelty gun, but it's really cool. Once I show it to you, you'll be like, okay, I'll get one. Because it's just, it's kind of neat. But I, anyways, the reason I brought that up is because it's a brake barrel. And I have these, have you seen the the super sniper 22 rounds oh my god uh what's the brain let me open up agula agula yeah have you seen them yeah they they have like the really really long head it's it's more than a uh more than like a 40 grain 
but I don't yeah, think yeah. they, I don't yeah, think, I think they feed two grains. Yeah. I don't think they feed reliably in a lot of guns, but if you have something, not, but in this break yeah. barrel life card, they have a lot more mass to them. 60 grains. Oh my God. Yeah. 60 grain, 22 LR. Anyways, it's, it is as quiet as it gets, but they, uh, they're known for keyholing and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. So silence 22 is to me, like one of the most important pistols you can have. So let's get back now to the stuff at the house. We already covered what you guys or what you have in your pockets, in your vehicle. We're not going to go into depth on the type of vehicle, but now there's stuff around the house. Like I know that you guys have been pushing a certain alcohol brand and is it chicken cock? Chicken cock. Yeah. <laughs> um, so chicken cock is, it's an old whiskey brand that they brought back to market. A company has brought back to market and they've done a great job with it. So the, they have different levels of bourbon. The Chanticleer is something that I would put up against. It, it's going to be right up there just under Pappy Van Winkle in terms of quality. That's $500 a bottle, so it should be right there. But it's it's really good. And the Blue Label, kind of their their entry-level tier, I would put up against Weller. It's just a really good like daily bourbon. And Scobie told me, and Scobie, who knows where Scobie got this, but he usually, when he drops a random tidbit of information on you it usually checks out but he said chicken cock whiskey is where the term cocktail comes from so i guess they invented the cocktail hmm. um or, the, or at least the, the the term so yeah chicken cock whiskey they they're a sponsor of our brand really good dudes out of charleston south carolina bourbon comes from bardstown bourbon company in kentucky uh and it's just really good stuff Man, yeah, I I didn't know that that's where a cocktail came from. I know that the whole idea of a cocktail came from Prohibition, and it was to disguise the various poisons that were added to alcohol when they were cutting them to try to, you know, increase, uh, you know, one bottle when it was cut into into two with fillers and whatnot. So the yeah. various speakeasies would add, you know, orange juice or they would add tonic or whatever to mask the the odor of all the other nonsense that they threw in there so i didn't know yeah. that you learn something new every day we'll, um, have to, we'll have to run that one down that's just something he threw at me the other day and i haven't had a chance to see if it checks out <laughs> or not but like i said scoby's usually pretty on the money with that kind of stuff man so we got chicken cock whiskey i know you guys are a big fan of our our good buddy andy muckle flip-flop guy yeah 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 got a ton of flip-flop sauce yeah um yeah and he and he showed me the flip-flop i guess three years ago and it's it's awesome it's a lot of fun to do with a crowd of people so yeah we always have some flip-flop sauce on hand and musket powder seasoning for steaks and chicken and everything else yeah it was your yeah, we, it was your social media that actually turned me on to the whole flip-flop thing i'm like what the hell is this flip-flop thing and it was because while i was watching you guys and he was one of my guests on the podcast like two years ago and it was because of you guys so that's how oh, really? that whole yeah. connection happened and he's a fun dude yeah, the, the, the flip-flop thing has blown up, and uh, it's just a really good way to cook a piece of meat that normally you would just grind up in the burger. Right now, we're eating, at my house, we are eating a ton, I mean, we always eat a ton of tacos, but elk and mule deer tacos. Uh, I killed a buck and a bull in Montana this year, so I literally, I had nothing, I cleared everything out of the freezer, and I still had to give like 30 pounds away to... Uh, a buddy of mine here just to get the freezer door to shut, but we've got taco meat for the entire year. So we're, we're mowing down tacos, spaghetti and chili and, uh, and elk roasts right now. Damn. 
Um, I think, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about the other things that you guys do, because you've got field ethos journal, we've been talking about hunting, but you just launched the waterman. Can you talk about like how you guys are kind of branching off and doing other, other publications and whatnot? Yeah. So waterman right now is going to that long form content is going to live within a mothership field ethos journal. We do see it taking on a life of its own because waterman really is, you know, mostly saltwater culture. So it's scuba diving, free diving, sailing, sport fishing, surfing, things that we're all passionate about. I grew up doing just about all of those things, spear fishing and free diving. I've just, I'm, I'm very much very green in that activity. Don and Dave are uh, OGs there, but Peter Coriel runs it. And Peter Coriel is just one of the coolest dudes you could ever meet, like super knowledgeable, everything saltwater, good surfer, lifelong fisherman, truly a expert spear fisherman. He travels around the world guiding spear fishing trips all over, all over the world, Africa, South America, everywhere. So he is just a wealth of knowledge on that stuff. And he's very much like a field ethos type of dude. You know, he's uh, unfiltered. He is hysterically funny, but he's really knowledgeable as well. So we've got the perfect guy kind of leading the charge of Field Ethos Waterman, but we really like it. And, and people seem to be really responding well to it. The content over there is is really cool. It I don't know. I, I it is just field ethos on the water. That's that's what it is. It's throwback stuff. It's the old school Rolex watches from from divers and uh, custom offshore fishing boats and just all kinds of cool stuff going on over there. I went spearfishing in Kauai a while back, and I went with this company called Spearfish Kauai. And I've told the story, but I, don't, I didn't really go into a lot of depth. But it, it is what it is. Um, sometimes stories come back around. And the guy that was out there, his name was Kalani, really, really solid dude. And, you know, people think spearfishing is simple, right? You you go under the water and, oh, you've got this gun and people think it performs like a rifle above water. And that is not the case. And, you know, you think, oh, you're just going to dive underwater and shoot fish. Well, the water has current and it's beating the crap out of you the whole time. And I remember watching this guy, you know, and it, it sounds like it's just like your, your director over there. I mean when they go underwater, it's like you're watching another aquatic creature just in the environment and fish. They know when they're being looked at, they know when they're being hunted and when they can just hold their breath for, for what seems like forever, when you have to be athletic and you're, you're getting pounded left and right by all the, all the ways. I think spearfishing is pretty awesome when you see someone who truly gets in tune with all these creatures with the current and then they are able to, and I don't want to say the word harvest, they're able to, uh, to shoot and spear a fish and then bring the thing to the surface. You're like, how the hell did you do that? Because the first time you try it, you feel like a fool because nothing is going right. You know, you're sweating yeah. through your wetsuit. And I mean, I want to do more of it. Um, I would love to, to go back to Hawaii and, and go back and do that again. Um, but now that I'm here in North Carolina, I'm not too far from, from the coastline here. So I might as well try it down here if there's, if there's an outfit. So, uh, so the first time I went spearfishing, I was in my early 20s and uh, a buddy of mine, his family owns a large property in Charleston and they had a fish farm on it. They farm raised tilapia there. Oh and gosh, you said tilapia. Several years before. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was, it was an inactive tilapia operation. And he said, uh, dude, we should, we should try to spear these things. So I went and got us a couple tanks from the dive shop and we got some Hawaiian slings, some bull spears. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we went down there and it was too easy with the scuba gear. 
and plus you're super slow with the scuba gear. So we killed a few fish with, with scuba gear and then we swam back to the dock and, and took that stuff off and just started free diving for them and making it a little bit more fun. But you watch somebody like Peter that has a really long breath hold. He's in a camouflage wetsuit and he can dive really deep and hover off the bottom uh, or grab onto a rock in some current and just hold himself there waiting for the right fish to swim by. And it seems like it takes him forever. And then one shot, the fish is dead and he's coming back up. It's he's, he is a straight up killer underwater. He's, he's awesome. Dude, I'm still hanging on the word tilapia. You know, I have a hate, hate relationship with that fish. It's a cultural thing. You know, it's a Filipino thing. You'll never see me eat tilapia. And, you know, it, it, <laughs> over, it, over, over ate it. No, no, I, I didn't overeat it. It was like, you know, my dad grew up in the Philippines and he said that if you invited someone over in the Philippines and you said, hey, we're having tilapia tonight, it's the equivalent of saying, let's go down to the, the local pond that is near the radioactive plant. We're going to serve you the sunfish that we pull out of there. He's like, it's, it's basically a junk fish. And he, he's like, you don't, you don't ever serve tilapia. So this is a true story. And, and, you know, I don't think she's going to listen, but I had a, an ex who, you know, before I was dating this girl, my dad told me a long time ago is if you ever, he goes, if you ever are on a date and, and a gal is like, Hey, uh, you know, let's have tilapia. He's like, that's a, that's a warning sign. That's a huge red flag. So I, this is when I was much younger. I was dating a girl and she's like, Oh, I made dinner. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Oh, I made tilapia. And and ever since then, I was like, mm, mm, this is not, and, and sure enough, it, it didn't last. But uh, yeah, tilapia is, is a fish that you can throw in like a muddy puddle in the Philippines. And next thing you know, it, it grows to to full size in a, a very short amount of time. And I, I don't know, man, I, I just hate, hate relationship with that fish. And people think it's like, you know, clean protein, but it's like, that's what they throw in uh, sea bass tanks to clean up the tanks afterwards. It's like it, it, that fish is a shit eater like no i'm not <laughs> not, not having it i can it. tell you they're fun to, they're fun to kill oh i'm I, okay so i'll spear them but i'm not eating them you're not eating them all right no. cool i'll eat your tilapia okay if we ever find find ourselves uh randomly spearing tilapia somewhere you know and i know that you guys do the sunday questions and you tell people to take laps i will sooner take a lap than i will put a bite of tilapia in my mouth. It's just, Fair enough. it is what yeah. it is. So I'm taking a note. So, tilapia PTSD. Dude, I, yeah, let's not even go there. Um, but let's talk about that Sunday questions. And, you know, I want to just bring that up because I think, I think those are really fun. They're really insightful. They're they're It's a good way to kind of unwind at the end of the weekend, right before the work week. So you put out to your, your followers on Instagram. You're like, Hey, ask your questions. And every so often someone gets a, take the lap. Yeah. Where does that come from? So, and what are some take the lap, like guaranteed offenses? So, you know, when you were playing little league or, or whatever <laughs> sports, when you're a kid, you do something stupid or you screw up, you're, you know, the first thing your coach is going to say is, all right, Vincent, take a lap. And, and it's just a humiliating thing. You know, you're, you're running around the field while your whole team is still practicing or they're watching and heckling you or, <laughs> whatever it is but it's just a it's just a healthy form of of um degrading somebody it's good and shame it's really good shame it, it is it is so the the q a thing started just randomly out of boredom on a sunday i was like all right let's just and i'd never you know as much as we use instagram i'm, I'm still like a novice at operating social media i guess so i was like let me try out this whole Q and A thing that I see as an option here, and dude, it has become its own animal through our brand. I mean, if 
if I'm traveling or if, if, if something comes up family wise and I don't have time to do Sunday Q and a, I will get 50 messages on a Sunday. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, when's Q and a starting or what happened to Q and a? Like people love it. It's, you know, we'll get, we'll get a couple hundred questions on a Sunday. I'll usually try to answer between 50 and 99. Cause if you, oh I think it's God. the hundredth one erases the first, uh, erases the, uh, the question box. Yeah. I think it'll only let you have like 99, uh, slides up there, but yeah, it just kind of, took on a life of its own. And then I started assigning people laps. And so people thought that was really funny and fun. And, and so you'll get people that purposefully ask questions, just wanting to be wanting to be hazed. And, and uh, so I avoid those. The, the only ones that really get laps are the ones that legitimately deserve them. But when it's, it's wild, like I'll, I'll answer a question and tell somebody they need to take a lap for their question. And very often I'll get a DM where they have filmed themselves taking a lap. Um, it's, it, it's, it's really fun. And so a lap, a, a lap at BLD test is just running around your house one time. Um, you just have to run around, you go outside and run around wherever you live once. And one dude, one dude that lives in like, I think it might be Chicago or something. He lives in like a big apartment building. He had his fiance film him run a lap around the entire building. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's all in good fun. But the Q and A stuff is anything from, like what books we're reading to uh, questions about, you know, hunting gear, different gun platforms, whatever, you know, I've been, I've kind of been at this my entire life. And so I will 100% say I'm by no means an expert in any one field, certainly undeserving of any expert type of designation, but I've done it long enough that I do have more knowledge and experience than most. And I also I'm lucky enough to have friends that I know are like the real experts of a lot of this stuff. And so I've, I've hunted with them or shot with them or trained with them or whatever it is to build up a solid background for being able to answer a lot of these questions. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a way to connect to our audience and participate with people. And people love feeling like they are interacted with. They, they want to feel like they participate in our brand. They want to feel like we participate with them. So we do. I spend an insane amount of time on social media answering DMs throughout the week. It's mm-hmm. a lot. But because I feel like because I do it, we have built a, a, a true culture at Field Ethos of of loyal consumers. And that's why when we when we do product drops, they sell out, you know, because these people are not we don't look at them as like followers of our brand. They're either they're either readers or participants in our brand because they, you know, we talk with them, we, we interact with them and they, they feel like they matter because we treat them like they matter because they do matter to us. They, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a brand or a company without them. So we, we make it a priority to um, always, you know, stay in touch with everybody that tries to stay in touch with us. Yeah. People need to feel like they're going to be welcomed by the fire. You know what I mean? And you're either near the fire or you're in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're around it, you know, celebrating with your buddies or you're being roasted. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the culture, but, uh, where can people find you guys? Um, so fieldethos.com and field ethos journal at field ethos journal on Instagram. We're on all the social platforms, but really it's, uh, mostly the content you see on Instagram is what, what you see populating the other social media platforms. We just like to be there. We like to be wherever people are uh, that want to interact with us. So, 
we exist in all those areas. We have Field Ethos. There's Field Ethos Outrider is feoutrider.com. That's a new uh, new company we've launched to get people experiencing adventures sometimes with us, but sometimes just going to places where we've been, we can sign off on the operation and say, yes, this is the group to go with in that area. So we have feoutrider.com. Uh, we have Field Ethos Waterman, FE Waterman on Instagram, which is what we were talking about earlier. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we have a YouTube channel and we have podcast on Spotify and Apple and the podcast. We're moving into our new podcast studio right now. It's in our new office and we're going to start putting those on YouTube. So zero like barrier there. So no pay to play, just come experience our podcast on YouTube. It has been on, what do we do? 20, maybe 26 episodes for outdoor channel TV. And those were like cut down versions of our long form podcast uh, that they edited for 30 minute segments on outdoor channel TV. So yeah, we're, we're in a lot of different places. We're pretty easy to find. And yeah, we're just going to keep fleshing all those areas out this year. Well, man, oh, in the magazine, the journal, yeah, the actual to those journal. It's, it's $15 an issue. It comes out quarterly. So it breaks down to $5 a month to get our magazine throughout the year. And we're pretty proud of it. And the response to the magazine has been overwhelming. It's now on Barnes and Noble, but the easiest way to get it is just to subscribe online and get it sent to your house. But it's really like, I'm proud of it. And I'm, I'm our biggest critic. I hated volume three, volume one, volume two were pretty good. Volume three, I think sucks. Volume four, I think is really good. And volume one, 2023 is awesome. So we're just going to keep, keep building. I'll, I will continue to be our toughest critic and, and, you know, try to keep pushing it. Every single issue to be better than the issue before it. Man. Well, I hope you keep doing that. And I hope you take a lap for volume three, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, we'll, that one's on me. That one's on me. Trust me. That's not the, that's not the only lap I got last year. Yeah. What you should I do is myself, I had to film myself running a lap. So we have a, we have inst- a private Instagram thread. That's a bunch of our friends throughout the industry. And, and, um, it is, uh, people have heard us talk about it before. It's a yoga appreciation thread to where different, different people in our industry contribute photos. They found of good looking ladies doing yoga. And then the commentary is hysterically funny. Come for the picture, stay for the commentary. But I, I, I jokingly put a, uh, a photo in there. I was issued a lap and um, I set a beer on the back back of the truck and ran a lap, cracked the beer open, pounded the beer. And, and trust me, laps get issued in there quite frequently and, and we actually do them. <laughs> so I'm a, lap, I'm, a, I'm a lap runner myself. I'm not just issuing them. I'm a, I'm a runner myself. Oh man. Embrace the shame. Well, dude, stay on yeah. for, stay on for a second. We'll talk after this, but guys, if you've been listening to the field, field craft survival podcast, this has been a good one. This has been with the guys from field ethos journal, and hopefully you pick up their magazine and you continue reading and watching our content over here. And maybe in 2023, you'll see some more collaboration. You never know. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, Hey, hold on for a bit guys. Everyone else will uh, see you on the next podcast.